I wanted to actually send out a message to every shul in the world to ask them the following question. Their first job is back after Corona. Do you feel that your shul is a place that if Yitro would walk into, he would have chosen to come and convert? I'm Scott Kahn, and this is The Orthodox Conundrum. This is the Orthodox Conundrum on JewishCoffeeHouse.com. I'm Scott Kahn. In several episodes of this podcast, I've spoken with spiritual leaders about how best to inculcate faith in both ourselves and our children. Individuals such as Rabbi Judah Michel, Rabbi Pesach Somer, and Rabbi Shmuel Feld have offered their important insights. I was pleased to speak to Rabbi, teacher, musician, and author Shlomo Katz about some of these same issues, including how we build a Muna what are proper and improper outreach techniques, when do we need to work within the system and when we need to create new institutions, what the people of Israel most need nowadays, how music fits into that equation, and more. First, let me remind you to please subscribe to The Orthodox Conundrum on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or anywhere else you get your podcasts. Please like The Orthodox Conundrum podcast on Facebook and join and participate in the Orthodox Conundrum discussion group on Facebook. Also go to Apple Podcasts and rate and review The Orthodox Conundrum. Just search for The Orthodox Conundrum, give it between zero and five stars, and write a sentence or two. I'd also like to ask you to become a Jewish Coffeehouse patron on Patreon. Just click on the link in the description of this podcast, and you can get bonus episodes, Jewish Coffeehouse merch, and more. You'll get special episodes on all sorts of topics that are available only to subscribers. You'll also be helping Jewish Coffeehouse spread our message of a welcoming, intellectually engaged, halakhically committed, and honest orthodoxy. So make sure you sign up to Patreon right away. It's just a few bucks a month, and you can cancel at any time. We're looking forward to your joining our team on Jewish Coffeehouse. Finally, do you have a message that needs to get out? Do you want to reach hundreds or even thousands of listeners? Do you want to promote your business, your organization, or your cause? The best way is by producing a podcast and Jewish Coffee House can help you start. I have experience producing hundreds of podcasts, both for myself and for satisfied clients. Whether you want to learn everything you need in a single day or record, relax, and let us do the heavy lifting, Jewish Coffee House Productions will work for you to make it happen and make it even better than you imagined. Let us help you today. Write to me at scott at jewishcoffeehouse.com or go to jewishcoffeehouse.com, click on Productions, scroll down to the bottom of the page, and sign up for a free 30-minute consultation. Make your voice heard, promote your cause, sell your product, and engage an audience now. Rabbi Shlomo Katz is a world-renowned musician. He has released seven albums and has conducted numerous tours throughout the globe. Rabbi Katz continues to build an online learning community he started over 10 years ago and which expanded tremendously during COVID. Rabbi Katz is the spiritual leader of the Shirat David Synagogue in Efrat, Israel, where he lives with his family. Rabbi Shlomo Katz, thank you very much for joining me today on the Orthodox Conundrum podcast. B'simcha, thank you for having me. I'd like to start off with a pretty big question. You're a musician, you're an author, you're a shul rabbi, you're a teacher. You've started an online resource called the Shlomo Katz Project. What is the overarching idea or goal of the various projects in which you're involved? In other words, what ultimately are you trying to accomplish? That's such a great question. If I had to give a, a very short answer, it would be reach to show that whatever technology is, is uh, available to us today is only so that we can be closer to each other. It's only so that connections can be made. 
and for people to feel that as big as the world is, we're much closer to each other than we realize, and then go from there. Okay, well, who is we? Are you talking about Orthodox Jews, all Jews, all of the world, humanity? I would love to say all of humanity, but the Torah tells me, whoever is your neighbor, whoever is right next to you at this moment. So whatever audience I'm in touch with at that moment, that's the, that's the, that's the target audience. Of course, it starts with the people that are, I'm most affiliated with, but definitely all Jewish people. Definitely all Jewish people, not just what people call Orthodox Jews. So what does that mean for you, the idea of bringing people closer together to emphasize that we're all united? In practice, how does that become more than a platitude and actually a prescription for how to act? I think that once that we define, or not define, we actually rid ourselves of those definitions of what kind of a Jew I am, and we see that we have much more in common than what the definitions tell us that we have, um, we could start learning together, singing together, traveling together, like all the programming that we've been we've been planning, celebrating together, being in Shabbos together, and the shul that we have, and the programming that we've been doing online and in person, facilitate exactly uh, for that for that need. Okay, that's very interesting. I want to ask you a little bit about that because I'm curious what your approach is. I've heard numerous approaches. I have my own thoughts about it. What do you do? What's your attitude? when approaching people who aren't religious, therefore, when I say not religious, let's call that broadly not Shomri Torah or Mitzvot in the Orthodox sense. Obviously, people can still be religious without that, but for our purposes, let's call it that. This is an Orthodox conundrum podcast. So people who are not Orthodox, when you say, let's all get together, one issue which I often have is that in the world of, call it Kiruv or outreach, very often that attempt can sometimes be for lack of a better term, a bit condescending. And maybe that's appropriate. I'm not saying, I'm not making the point, but if we should all be together and I'll teach you how you should really act, ultimately my my bottom line goal is to get you to be more like I believe you should be, as opposed to I'm just happy with who you are and do whatever you want. That's something which some people think is a good thing. Some people think that's actually a pitfall, a negative part of Kiruv because of that attitude. What's your attitude towards that? How do you relate to non-Orthodox Jews when coming to them? I was blessed to learn under uh, the, the leadership of Rabbi Chaim Bravender for about uh, four years in yeshiva, and then hopefully for many more years since then. Rav Bravender had a beautiful way of addressing, what I believe is addressing this question, which is a great question. It's, a, it's really great because it could be the most condescending approach in the world. However, do I believe in Torah and mitzvahs or not? Rabbi Bravender would stress that he believed enough in the Torah that if you bring a person, if you bring Torah to the person, or you bring a person to the Torah, believe enough in the Torah, it'll grab the person. The word of Hashem is strong enough to grab the person without you needing to outline for them how it should be grabbed. And I believe in that fully. I would never, I know I don't approach Kiruv even as the word Kiruv, because then in that word itself, it means I'm closer to something that this person isn't. What do I know? I just know that I believe in the power of the Torah and the beauty of the Torah. And my job, hopefully, is to bring that person together with myself closer to the Torah and let the Torah do the job from there. What would happen if, I guess, theoretically speaking, someone would go to you and say, Rav Shlomo, you know, I really enjoy Shabbos dinner with you, but I have no interest whatsoever in taking on more mitzvot. I like coming for Shabbat. I like maybe Friday night davening, whatever mitzvah it is, but that's it. I'm not interested in it anymore. Can you accept that? 
How would you respond to that? Of course. What's the question? <laughs> okay. I understand your question. It's sad for me that that's become a question. Betach. Mashallah. I feel like I do that with God all the time. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to act as a judge with someone else. And if someone were to say to you, Rabbi, should I keep Shabbat? I assume you'd say, I think you should, but it's up to you. I mean, I don't want to put words in your mouth. What would your attitude be? I would say, let's, let's discover that together. Let's keep on learning about Shabbos together. Let's keep on delving in it together because I believe fully that you're going to feel at home once you find Shabbos. Yes. Let's go on to a, a related issue. Sort of another broad question. How do you feel about the state of Klal Yisrael today, the people of Israel? Are we in a good place? Are we in a bad place? How do you feel when you look at what we are as a people? Well, you're asking the best question. You know, I've done so many of these types of things. I am in love with these questions <laughs> because they're straight to the point, And yet they're so not to the point, but it's great. It's great. Well, thank you. How do I feel about Klal Yisrael today? If I didn't have somewhat of an, an obligation to believe in the Kedusha of Am Yisrael and in the beauty and in the destiny of Am Yisrael, I check out a long time ago. Really? There's, yeah, there's no way that what I see in front of me today, right now, on the surface, makes me feel too optimistic as to the state of where we're at now and where we're heading. But Am Yisrael is a secret that's been an unraveling secret for so many years, and I'm constantly pushing myself to look beneath the surface, to remember the bigger picture, and to realize that I'm also on the surface, not someone that I'd be too optimistic, maybe on certain days with where they're at, and go deeper inside. And the divide is not just religious, non-religious, whatever those things are called. One of the main big ones for me that I look at all the time is Eretz Yisrael and Chutz Laaretz. What do you that's, mean? That's to me even more divisive than, than religious and non-religious. In what sense? I think that people that live here, that are working the land here, that are sending their children to the army, to the front lines here, that are sitting in Yerushalayim, sitting and learning Torah here, we're, A, just literally, we're breathing different air, just in a very literal sense. Mm -hmm. But inside, what's happening is that we're dreaming differently. The way we're, we're thinking about tomorrow is completely different. And it gets so hard to get into this sugiya because being here in Eretz Yisrael is an absolute matnat chinam. That's what I believe. Mm -hmm. uh, why am I here? Why, why am I privileged to live here? I, would, I wish I could tell you because I know the Torah and I listen to the Torah and that's why I, I'm here. But we know that for many of us, that's not what it is. It's, it happened to be that we had enough guts to hear Lech Lecha and act on it. So I just daven all the time that people should be blessed with hearing Lech Lecha and acting upon it. But it's a matna sinam. So this is what, I, what I'm trying to say is like this. There is a voice amongst Anglos that have made Aliyah that live here where they kind of look at diaspora Jewry in a certain level of condescending, a certain level, you know. How could you still be there? Or, but they don't remember that they were they were simply privileged. What a awesome privilege it was to hear lech lecha and to act upon it. We just have to daven that the whole world hears lech lecha with zero judgment. I don't know anyone that's made aliyah because of they felt judged and someone told them it was the wrong thing to do to stay in America. And those that actually made because they feel judged, 
they don't really make it here. That's not how you come to Eretz Yisrael. So there's a lot in that question. Okay, then let me take it to the next step. You talk about how you would have checked out a long time ago. So what are the problems? There was divide, but you know, divide isn't a reason to check out. That's something to mend. What are the problems that you see that are really acute in Am Yisrael now? Things that we need to fix, obviously. What are those problems? I believe it's a, it's it, it boils down to a spiritual revolution. I think that we're we're reaching an age where it used to be, uh, you know, if you if you were more of a spiritual nature, that was a great luxury. It was beautiful. It wasn't a necessity. It wasn't a necessity to be a good Jew. Today, I don't. I just don't see. I don't see it as a luxury. I don't see it as optional. I see this spiritual uh, maturity that needs to take place as a must, as a must, and that I think is lies at the core of. Uh, on an educational level that we have we have so many sweet people that know a lot of Torah on the level of Eitz Adas. They know a lot of Torah, Tree of Knowledge. They have a lot of Torah in them. A lot, a lot, a lot. However, has it become Eitz HaChaim? Like, all the knowledge that I know, how do I bring it into my heart? And for that, it takes much more than having a good mind and a good brain and a high level of intellect. It takes a lot of spiritual discipline. And I think that's really at the core of where things are at right now. So what does spiritual discipline require? How do we get that spiritual discipline in order to create that sense of spirituality, that Eitz HaChaim, the tree of life that you mentioned? The beauty is, is that, Baruch Hashem, there's not one answer. But if I could just share what kind of works for me, I think that's the only thing I'd feel comfortable with sharing because Shivin Panim, there's so many ways to get there. So... I once heard from Rabbi Nachman of Breslov's top student, Rabbi Natan of Breslov, the following. He said, there'll come a time where Orthodox Jews or religious Jews, observant Jews, whatever you want to call them, people of the book will look back at Judaism and they're going to laugh at the fact that people of faith thought that it's possible to be observant without practicing Hitbodedut. Hitbodedut is the speaking to Hashem, in speaking to God in your own language, verbally speaking to God in your own language, being uh, in a quiet place, if you're able to, in the fields, if you're able to at night, but it doesn't really matter when, practicing this daily. Davening, out of, praying out of a sidur is a must. It's, an, it's a halachic obligation, but it does not satiate the soul in this day and in, in this era. Hmm. So you think that he bodhidut, speaking to God in one's own language, going out into the forest quietly, for example. My son sometimes does that as well. He is in yeshiva and has become very fond of the teachings of Rabbi Natan and Rabbi Nachman. So you think that that's actually an absolute necessity for people in order to bring out that sense of ruach, that sense of spirit? I think it's one of the ways. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think, I think also, re, and I, I was hoping this was going to happen after the first round of corona, but Reapproaching the reason we go to shul, our time spent in shul, what is that all about? And all these things that I thought I I, I don't know I was I was a little bit naive. I think many of us were that we were we would come back to a world that would be completely different post the first round. Hashem is giving us another chance. It seems like <laughs> it now to reapproach all these things. That's why I'm looking at it because I can't you know I can't. What else am I going to look at the current state of reality? But I think, like you know, the, the, that's just one. That's just one thing. One or two things. I'm sure there are many different things. But spiritual maturity comes in all shapes and forms. 
So let me ask you about that last point you made about time spent in shul. What do you mean that time spent in shul, I'm not even sure what has to change. What, what were you hoping would happen to time spent in shul post-corona? I wanted to actually send out a message to every shul in the world to ask them the following question. Their first job is back after Corona. Okay. I didn't get around to it. Our fifth child was born during the lockdowns. It got busy here. There's a lot going on. We launched this whole project. It was actually Corona was the busiest time I've ever experienced. But if I could, if I could do this, I would, I would do the following. Do you feel that your shul is a place that if Yitro would walk into, he would have chosen to come and convert? Why does that matter? I'm serious about this. Meaning, maybe Yitro won't like it, but if I like it, isn't that enough? Isn't my first responsibility to the people who are already there, not the people who potentially might come from outside? A great question. I'll, I'll tell you how I see it, because the Torah was chosen to be given in a parsha named after a convert. All the Hasidic commentators explained that in order to really absorb the Torah in our hearts, to be part of the word of Hashem, you must, on a certain level, even if you're born Jewish, you must, must, must be willing to give everything else up in life to be part of the world of Torah. The Piyasetzner Rebbe, Replonimus Kalman Shapira, the Eish Kodesh, who has been a very big uh, source of inspiration for us in our shul in many, many places all, all over the world the last I would say in the last 20 years has been really, it's really taken off, 15 years even. So he said, he wrote on his 40th birthday in his diary, he wrote the following. He wrote, he wrote you know, what, what, what could I do now? What could I take on? Could I daven better? I think I daven pretty good. Can I learn better? I think I learn pretty good. He said the one thing that his soul and, and heart desires to do the most, he's not able to do, which is, to convert, because that's that's what he felt with the lie at the root of what his, the ratzon of his heart is. So I would love, I would love us all to go to that headspace, to be vulnerable enough to ask ourselves those questions. You know, the places of worship that we're part of, that we're building, that we're showing our children what they're about. Would would spiritual seekers from other places in life would they choose? Is this a place that's that resembles that? So you're the spiritual leader of the Shirat David Synagogue in Efrat. How are you implementing those ideas, making sure that a modern-day Jethro would want to come into your shul? We are blessed. I'm blessed to be part of a community that's much larger than just me as the, as the rabbi. I feel like I live amongst the most courageous warriors in my community. The women in our, in our community are dynamite, the powerful, passionate uh, yearning for growth that we see from them, of course, as well as the men, has played such a such a role in the forming of our community. But lemaisa, on a most like practical level, you know, our shul is not just about how long the davening is or how much we sing. It's how much are we conscious of the reason why we come to shul? Why do we even come to shul in the first place, other than that we're supposed to? One of the things we take great pride in is that. If you're a guest and you talk in shul, eventually you're going to start to feel weird because it's something that we just, we don't do. We encourage talking, a lot of talking, but talking to the Rebbeinah And I think that that place, when, it, when the focus becomes not just shh, no talking, but rather, why would you talk? Like, why would you come to shul? To, why? Let's think about it. 
the more the awareness is there on that level, the more that all the things we spoke about become implemented. And of course, the spirit of davening, the singing and the dancing, it's got to be fire. It's got to be nothing less than a place where each person knows I'm coming here to bring a korban. If davening, if prayer is instead of sacrifices, we know that if a person did not bring a korban with a, with a full heart, the korban itself, the sacrifice itself would go astray. It wouldn't even go up the ramp, the Medrash tells us. So, so too, let, let's just not kid ourselves anymore. Our children, by the way, I think that the children in our community are so deep. The children bichlal of this generation are so much more aware than, than what I was when I was a child, perhaps when you were as well. They could see, they could see straight out, you know, what's really L'Shem Shemaim and what's not. And they are really leading the way for us to get our acts together more and more on a daily basis. So you mentioned just now singing and dancing in shul, and of course you are a well-known musician. And you also mentioned Hidbodudu, which is a very different sort of worship, quiet, silence, speaking, or perhaps it's not silent, but at least it's by yourself without presumably musical instruments. What is the place of music in worship of God? Obviously on Shabbat, that's not part of our regular worship. That's, that's not allowed. But in general, does music have a very specific place that can help us reach levels of spirituality, in your opinion? I think it's a given that I would obviously say yes, but it's not just a, you know, a Jew doesn't just say yes based on what does he feel. He goes back to the sources and says, well, what, what role did music have in, in, in the past? Well, we know that when a person came into the Holy Temple, they came to the Beit HaMikdash, he was greeted with this massive orchestra of Levim and of, of the Levites who were, some, some commentators say there were 50,000 instruments and a choir of 100,000 voices. And then all the commentators are describing, well, what happens if they're not playing music at the moment that a Jew comes and brings a korban? Is it me'akev or not? Does it prevent you from fulfilling your obligation or not? And we, we, we see that music was an integral part of reestablishing closeness. I think that music, you know, when, when we speak, I'm speaking monotone, I'm speaking on a, on a certain, you know, there's a certain, you know what I'm saying? When it comes to music, I'm climbing through all these different worlds and something above my intellect is, gets activated and that's the wisdom of the heart. And that's very different than the wisdom of the mind. The wisdom of the heart knows things on a level that can't be explained, but I, I understand it more through music than I do through words. And speaking of understanding things, whether it's through music, whether it's through logical explanations, I'd like to ask you, what you think from your experience in teaching and singing and leading people, how do people acquire emuna? How do you think that most people are able to develop a sense of faith? Because one of the problems that people have coming in, the Yitros wanting to join our community is, do I really believe that this is true? Is that which is being offered by Torah Judaism something which I can intellectually accept? So how is it that you would suggest that people establish that sense of emuna in themselves and perhaps even more critically in their children. Where did you, what did you have for breakfast this morning? Your questions are like exactly the, sometimes there's questions in these interviews where it's like, I can't believe this is what people care about, <laughs> but I'm so happy. This is actually what you care. This is unbelievable. It's just caffeine. It's just, it's just coffee, but thank you. <laughs> I'm with you. I'm with you on it. <laughs> we have to change the word emuna from a noun to a verb. What does that mean? And faith thing, faith is not this place that I've reached and I either have it or I don't have it. 
world of emuna is a world of constant movement. It doesn't stop. It doesn't stand still. Those that think that I either believe or I don't believe are missing the whole point. Emuna is something that is constantly taking place. There's a very beautiful sefer we learned in the Kehillah. I'm looking for it here. I don't see it right now. It's called the Bilvavi Mishkan Evne by Rav Itamar Schwartz. It's kind of like a modern day Mesilati Shalim. I'm sure you've heard of it. And uh, one of his other svarim is called Shni Tolat. I have it right here. This is a beautiful, beautiful sefer. In the back of the sefer, he has a ma'amar and emuna. And he says something that I, I, I hope everyone that listens to this uh, is willing to uh, be open to allow me to dare them with the following. He says like this, he says, there are many things in this world that, you know, God always answers, right? The question is, does he say yes or no to what we ask for? And there are many things that we, we daven for, we pray for, and the answer is no. The answer is no, because it's just not right for us. We can't see it. God sees it. There's only one thing in the world that the answer to the prayer is never, ever no. It's always yes. Only one thing. It's pretty phenomenal. I would love to know what that one thing is, and I'll ask for it if the answer is always yes, right? Well, he says that the one thing that a Jew always asks for and is always granted the yes answer is when you ask God for more emuna. When you ask Hashem for more faith, the answer is always yes. The problem that we have, and it's so deep, it's rooted so deeply, is that we think faith is either something that I've, I come to based on some type of research, and then it either sits with me or it doesn't. But faith is, faith is something that I aspire to, that I daven for, that I pray for. And I think that Am Yisrael got shown this in such a unfortunately heartbreaking way this last year. After the Meron tragedy, Hashem Yirachim, there was a father that lost two sons. I think his name was El Chadad or El Chadid. Channel 2 came to uh, interview him at the Shiva house. And of course, the question was, how do you still believe in God after what happened to you? You buried two sons? Hashem Yirachim. God should have mercy on us. So he said, and he left the interviewer absolutely speechless. He said, you know, I asked myself that question before I went to sleep, or I tried to sleep that first night after my two sons left this world. And all I could tell God is, I beg of you, don't take my amuna away from you. That's all I'm asking. I'm not asking anything else. I'm not asking you to explain to me what happened. I'm not asking you to know what to do tomorrow, but I'm begging you, please don't take my amuna away. And then he said, and you know what happened? I woke up in the morning and I, I still believed in God. That's such a different way, a different approach of understanding amuna, but I believe that that's very much, that's going to resonate much more with our current generation today than all the other things that have worked for us until now. Not to disqualify them, Khalila, God forbid, but I'm just speaking about the pulse of today's generation. That's it. I think it's important in that note, along the same lines that you're saying now, that the primary name of God to which we relate, Yudke Vavke, is formatted like a verb. And our understanding of God has to be understood sometimes not as just a subject or an object, but perhaps as a verb also. I think that's 
along the lines of what you're suggesting right now. Too. That's awesome. That's awesome. I'm going to use it in the next rush. I'll quote you. <laughs> okay. That's perfect. <laughs> you speak a lot, understandably and beautifully, about emphasizing the positives of Judaism, how much comes out, how much we can develop our spirituality from Torah and the rest. When is it time, in your opinion, to criticize institutions? When is it time, not necessarily to use the fire and brimstone, but at the same time to say, this cannot go on this way. We need to change this. I would love to emphasize, it's so beautiful. Let Yitro come through that door. He'll see how great it is. But I have to tell you guys, this is not okay what's going on now. We must change things. What's your opinion about that? Yesterday. Okay. <laughs> uh, you know what? It used to be a time that we, we have to be more politically correct with these types of questions because you never know. But what's left? What do we think? The world is closing, opening, shutting down, catastrophe. What's left? How much, how much time do we left? I think that what you're describing is where we're at right now. And we need humble giants, humble giants, humble leaders, men and women, to step up to the plate for the sake of Am Yisrael, love unconditionally. To Basically, there's one criteria, though, for what you're saying, one, one important criteria. If you're not saying those words, B'Shem Kol Yisrael, in the name of all of Israel, and in the name of loving all of Israel, you may have the greatest ideas, but they won't work. They will not work. If what you're trying to bring to the plate, what you're trying to change through the establishment and through the institutional ways of how things work, if it's not because I truly love you, and I love the, the future of our people, you may have brilliant ideas and con- they, it, it will not withstand the, the test of time. It's interesting because over the past week or so, several people have reached out to me, well-meaning, of course, but criticizing some of the podcasts I put up, some of the posts that I have posted on my group about various criticisms of the Orthodox world. For example, just a simple example, last week I spoke with Rabbi Barry Kornblau about environmentalism in Judaism, or specifically in the Orthodox world, and I was blunt that it seems to me, I said anecdotally or perhaps more than anecdotally, many Orthodox Jews don't seem to take these issues that seriously or certainly don't make it a priority. And perhaps there are good reasons for that. Several people contacted me to say, how do you know that? What's your data how can you criticize Orthodox Jews for no purpose? How do you know such a thing? Well, the answer is I live in Ramat Chemish. All I have to do is drive five minutes, and I guarantee you it's pretty clear that environmentalism and climate change are not at the top of everybody's <laughs> list of priorities. But they were saying, you're preaching to the choir. What difference does it make? You're not talking to the people who need to hear this. I personally disagree. When do you think it's worth talking to people who agree with you about problems that might be outside, let's say, your shul? But our problems in the Orthodox world, is that just preaching to the choir and basically getting an amen corner? Or is it actually important to tell people this thing that's going on in part of the Orthodox world, even though it may not be our problem, is actually a problem? What do you think? Mm, that's a great question. I don't know if there's any, I don't know if there are any rules for this, but that's such a wonderful question. Um, look, the Orthodox world has, 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 it's easier for us to point to things in the Orthodox world because it's more or less the world that we live in and we're brought up in. I think it's clear that if we would start pointing fingers at people that label themselves conservative and reform, Mazayas, uh, like, what Kiddush Hashem could that actually be? But the question is, what Kiddush Hashem can there actually be? In what way, in what way can I point things out that need tikkun within my family, within my home, without it sounding judgmental? So there is a place, but if I don't do hitbodidut over 
these issues, it may very well come across as sounding like what Rabbi Akiva was saying, Tamani, I wonder if there's anyone in the world that can do Tokecha. Like he said, like we know from the Rambam and the Rival and the Smag and all the all the Sefer mitzvahs, all the all the books that explain to us how to do mitzvahs, we know that if the person cannot hear your Tokecha, then even if it's absolutely correct what you're saying, that you're not fulfilling the mitzvah. So the question is, so how do I do it? Mm-hmm. Right? So I, I personally believe that if I really tune in to the heart of why I'm doing what I'm doing, and not just because it bothers me, but because I believe that it affects someone else's soul, and I daven over it, and I pray to Hashem in my own words, please help me find the words to reach people. And if I can't find the words to reach people, maybe I shouldn't, then I have a chance. I want to ask you about institutions, because that leads to that question about working within the system and working outside the system. And I ask you this specifically, Rav Shlomo, because you are someone who has created new institutions, your shul, the Shlomo Katz Project, even the music that you make. This is something which is your own and not necessarily working within an established system of creating or inculcating Judaism. When do we work within the system? And when do you think we should work outside the system and create our own new institutions? Oh, I wish I knew. It's really this question I'm not going to answer because I'm right in the heart of it right now in terms of monitoring each step of the way and seeing, like, like literally, it's a, it's, it's something that I'm learning every day right now. And and today I may feel, this morning I may feel like saying, giving a certain answer. There's so much happening going on by the afternoon. I may change my mind. I'm still in denial that I've about most of the things that that have been happening in life, not not real denial. I just the way you the way you worded it right now, it's just like wow, wow, because um, because in me, you know, I'm, I I feel like I am a rebel inside, but I, I I acknowledge what you're saying, but I think that I'm definitely way too young and need so much more time with the cloud to approach that question. Okay, Rav Shlomo, just before we close, can you tell me a little bit about the Shlomo Cash Project? Gladly. You know, I, I was like you mentioned before, there's all these different parts to, to the things I get to do, whether it's teaching, whether it's uh, counseling, whether it's music, whether it's leading trips uh, to uh, all over to Kibbutz Tzadikim, to the Ukraine. Now we're beginning now to do official trips here in the Holy Land as well. And Eretz Yisrael needed an umbrella for all of it. But what I didn't realize is how many people really all over the world right now are leaning on their screen for sustenance. And this obviously came to light during the corona where I realized, okay, maybe Hashem, you know, gave me whatever he gave me until now in life, just to have access to people's souls and to provide for them a little bit of comfort when people seem to be so lonely. So during the, really, it, it was really started blossoming in the beginning of the corona. I guess it's now, what, a year and a half ago already? I guess, yeah. <laughs> wow. Time has no meaning anymore. That's my opinion. Right. I, I was using Zoom periodically for a year or two before that, but then obviously Zoom, like we're right now conversing via Zoom. Uh, Zoom took off, and together with the help of much more, uh, you know, technically uh, advanced friends that I have, we were able to basically create the platform for many, many, many people, much more than I ever imagined. Literally thousands around the world to feel like there's a little bit of a spiritual home on a on a, on a screen, which seems ridiculous. But it is so a huge chunk of the work we've been doing the last year and a half has been engaging with things like this. But weekly, sometimes at times it was daily, uh, back and forth 
on Zoom, whether it was Kabbalat Shabbat, Havdalah's concerts, Simchas Beis HaShoeva, Hanukkah events, uh, pre-every holiday type of learning, Parsha, everything was, was through here. And we realized that that's still going to continue. That's still going to happen. But the project also basically enables me to just share whatever it is Hashem has given me through an official umbrella organization, uh, my own organization that just covers that covers everything. But Bezrat Hashem, please God, please God, I just hope that the screen will have served its purpose and everyone will be able to go past that and be together live because... That's what we need the most. That sounds great. Arsalmo, this has been very inspiring, and I really appreciate your your words of wisdom and your words of inspiration today. So thank you for joining me today on the podcast. Uh, with honor. Thank you so much. Subscribe to The Orthodox Conundrum on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or anywhere else you get your podcasts. Please visit jewishcoffeehouse.com for other episodes of The Orthodox Conundrum, as well as many other great podcasts, including Intimate Judaism, The Mamanides Minute, Chochmat Nashim, The Francisca Show, and Let My People Eat. I'd appreciate it if you go to Apple Podcasts and rate and review The Orthodox Conundrum. It takes literally two minutes. It's just giving a certain number of stars and writing one or two sentences. Please like The Orthodox Conundrum Podcast on Facebook and join our growing Facebook group, The Orthodox Conundrum Discussion Group, where you can feel free to discuss issues in orthodoxy in an honest and friendly environment. I hope you'll become a Jewish Coffeehouse patron on Patreon. Just click on the link in the description of this podcast and you can get bonus episodes, Jewish Coffeehouse merch, and more. You'll get special episodes on all sorts of topics that are only available to subscribers. And you'll be helping Jewish Coffeehouse spread our message of a welcoming, intellectually engaged, and honest orthodoxy. Just join Patreon. It's only a couple of dollars a month, and you can stop anytime, so join today. Finally, do you have a message that needs to get out? Do you want to promote your business, your organization, or your cause? The best way is by producing a podcast, and Jewish Coffeehouse can make it happen. I have experience producing hundreds of podcasts, both for myself and for satisfied clients. Whether you want to learn everything you need in one day, or relax and record and let me do the heavy lifting, Jewish Coffeehouse Productions will work with you to make it happen and make it even better than you imagined. Let me help you today. Write to me at scott at jewishcoffeehouse.com or go to jewishcoffeehouse.com, click on Productions, and sign up for a free consultation. Make your voice heard, promote your cause, sell your product, and engage an audience now. I'm Scott Kahn. This has been The Orthodox Conundrum on jewishcoffeehouse.com.